some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Welcome to December. It's time for the Quick Six. Here on this Monday, December the 2nd, 2019, I'm Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. You know all the things that I'm doing. Not as many shows on air this time of year, on the zone at least. Not in my usual 6 p.m. time slot. Next one's on Friday, so we talk football here on this show for a few minutes. Just let me kind of get all my thoughts out on the weekend so you don't have to wait for four or five days to hear those. So we're going to talk some NFL and some college football. Let's go ahead and get right to it. That way we'll just dispense with the preliminaries this week. Hope that your Thanksgiving went well. Mine went great. We hosted the parents, uh, both sets of parents for the first time since getting married and it went fantastic and food was good. And it's a real blessing that our parents get along so well, not just with us and with the other person, meaning the in-law or whatever, but it also works in reverse that they get along really well with each other. So Super blessed to to be able to report that makes things a whole lot easier when you know the six of us can sit down and just really enjoy one another's company and not really have any problems. Also ran an 8K, a turkey trot for ALS on Thursday morning and just blown away that I could even do it, honestly. Um, all glory to God for that as there is no way that the me of two or three years ago could have done that. I couldn't run more than two minutes at a time. A lot of times I couldn't run more than one. And for me to be able to run an hour on a pretty tough course and get through that thing in 55 minutes and you know finish in the top 25 of my age range and just being able to complete it at all, just incredible. And I'm so thankful that what happened to wake me up happened, honestly. And what happened was the undeserved and unmerited favor of my Lord and Savior. Okay, to the football. Tennessee Titans, Tennessee Vols. It's trending in the right direction still. Tennessee wins on Saturday against Vanderbilt. It wasn't a great performance by Tennessee, but they still won the game by 18. It was a game with weather delays. It wasn't Garantano's best day. Eric Gray is really the only big thing coming out of it, but Vanderbilt's awful. That's a three-win football team, and somehow it looks like Derek Mason is still the head coach there. So whatever that means to you, it means to you. But Tennessee, after starting one and four, finishes seven and five, goes six and one down the stretch. They only lost to Alabama, and they played them very, very tough. And now they're going to a bowl game. We'll find out which one in about a week or so. We'll know exactly where they're headed or if they're headed here to Nashville, even though it seems more likely they might be in the Gator Bowl uh, on New Year's Day, but good for them, and congratulations to the Vols, and you look at the five seniors that I wrote about in the Big Six blog uh, in my takeaways piece, Batuli, Taylor, Jennings, Callaway, and Warrior. Those five guys all just stood up and stood out and played the best football maybe of their careers Batuli wasn't healthy to start the year. We know what Jennings is. Callaway, I, I really would have liked to have seen what he could have done over his entire career 
with an offense that valued passing and actually taking shots down the field because he's a great jump ball player. He's got all the measurables. I'll be interested to see what he looks like in the pros because I think he could be really good. Warrior has made himself draftable by what he's done in the last six to eight weeks. We knew he had this in him, but we were starting to wonder if we would ever see it. We have. Jennings is a dog. Batuli is a dog. Daryl Taylor was relentless uh, many times this season against opposing quarterbacks. Those five guys who have dealt with so much futility, so much changeover, a lack of cohesion, somehow they persevered and they're, they should be remembered. I don't know what they're going to be remembered as, but as a unit, they should be remembered as guys that absolutely did not quit and led this turnaround on the field. And hopefully that's infectious and that carries over to the future for Jeremy Pruitt. And his future's bright because of the way that this team fought for him late in the year. They did not quit, even with the quarterback travails and trials and tribulations, even with not being able to run the ball with Jim Chaney consistently this season. Just somehow they took advantage of a schedule that's in front of them. Look, the, the only way to be a good team is to take advantage of the opportunities, especially the ones that you know are in your favor when they are presented to you because they're not always there. Back half of this schedule was beatable. And that's exactly what Tennessee did. They took advantage of it. The one game that you looked at on paper and said, well, they're not winning that game, was the one they lost. And they played tough in Tuscaloosa in that game. Outside of that, they won. Some of them were close. Not everything was perfect. Didn't matter. They were all Ws. And so they're going to a bowl. And Jeremy Pruitt deserves credit for taking a team that was being laughed at to now being a team that is one of the hottest in the country and actually had three votes in the AP poll of getting into the top 25, and I think ended up sitting at 34. But that's unbelievable, considering a loss to Georgia State and the way that this season started. So we'll see where Tennessee ends up, but this has to be hopeful, finishing third in the East. And it really felt like to me that the team changed in that first half against Georgia. They saw enough of what they could be. They still got drubbed in that game because of the second half and the way the first half ended. But from that point on, they just weren't the same team. They were a much better, much more grizzled, much more, it seemed like, prepared team for what they were going to experience. And it was a joy to watch, quite frankly. So congratulations to all the Vols fans out there. This, to me, is a success whether you win the bowl game or not. Making it to a bowl game with an extra game to spare and then winning that game on top of it, ending Vanderbilt's three-year winning streak, this is an absolute success. I know it started out tough, but I continue to believe that had it not started out that way, this team would not be in the position it is because they would have dropped some games they shouldn't have lost later instead of peaking and growing from the valleys that they experienced early in the season to now being higher up on that mountaintop and actually maybe being able to see the summit of something good. So those seniors are going to end their careers on a high note. I mean, if they lose the bowl, that'll, that'll stink a little bit, but you get an extra month of practice for these guys, and I think they actually want to play football. And there are teams in this country right now in college that, that didn't. And you could see it on Saturday. They were ready to go ahead and pack it in. Tennessee, much to their credit, much to that coaching staff's credit, and certainly much to those seniors' credit, absolutely did not. And credit Jarek Garantano, even though Saturday wasn't his finest hour. Uh, what a resilient young man that guy wearing the number two jersey in Knoxville is. So congratulations to him as well. And we'll be... Intrigued to see what happens next year with Garantano, but and maybe Shiano will encourage him to go, which would be interesting because Shiano could have been coaching him in Knoxville, 
Maybe he coaches him at Rutgers, where his dad played. I still think he's going to come back. I just I think he wants to be part of this, and he thinks he can be, and I think he can be as well. Now to the top 25. College football playoff rankings will come out tomorrow. LSU is on top of the AP, on top of the coaches' poll, with Ohio State at 2, Clemson at 3, Georgia at 4, Utah at 5, Oklahoma at 6, Florida at 7, which is a little high, Baylor at 8 with one loss, Alabama at 9, and Wisconsin at 10. And Auburn, by the way, is 11th in the AP, 12th in the coaches' poll, even after beating Alabama uh, at Jordan-Hare on Saturday in that crazy game. Maybe the best or certainly most dramatic and most entertaining Iron Bowl ever, most points ever scored. Um, I saw a Banner Society article where they said basically that was four different football games, four different Iron Bowls all in one, and it's hard to deny that. So who is the best team in the country? Is it LSU or is it Ohio State? Or maybe it's Clemson. I don't think there is an argument outside of that. Let's say this. If you are number two, you're going to be playing a really good team at three. If you're number three, you're going to be playing a pretty good team at number two. You want to be number one at the end of this because I would say you want to run into Georgia or you want to run into OU or you want to run into Utah because there are some flaws there. I really like Utah, but their schedule hurts them severely, and it may cost them a chance, depending on other outcomes, to get into the college football playoff. It's not that they lost to a bad team because they didn't lose to a bad team. They lost to a USC team that's now 8-4. and four with speculation swirling around Clay Helton, yes, or Clay Helton, no. And here's Urban Meyer and James Franklin and all these other names. But this is a team that's that has gotten better as the season went along. Slovis is a solid player. And 8-4, and four, there's nothing too bad about that. And you look at the Georgia loss, South Carolina is nowhere even close to the top 25. Clemson hasn't lost, and the other two teams haven't lost. So Utah being at 5 is pretty good. They're not going to get to beat nearly as high-ranked a team because Oregon's 13th in both polls right now, and they were 14th in the playoff ranking last year, last week, I believe it was. Um, so that harms them. But the problem for Utah is if you look at the rest of their schedule, everything else that they have accomplished, look, a win is a win, and you shouldn't take anything away from it. But they're going to finish the season having played nobody until their championship game really, that's in the top 25 or beaten that. The only team that they played that's in the top 25 currently is USC, who they lost to. So that hurts them. I mean, let's look at their schedule real quick. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up and run this through. They beat BYU on the road. That's not a bad loss, especially because it's a rivalry game or a bad win, excuse me. Northern Illinois, Idaho State, they lost to SC. Then they played a bad Washington State team or an average one at best, a bad Oregon State team. Uh, an Arizona State team that at the time was in the top 20 and then would go on to lose like four in a row, which is seemingly after you lose to Utah, what happens? Cal, they beat Washington by five in a close ball game on the road. That's a, that's still a good win. I don't care. UCLA is UCLA. Arizona is Arizona. Colorado is Colorado. That's the whole schedule. The SE, or pardon me, the Pac-12 right now, folks, there are only Three teams in the entire conference with a winning record in the Pac-12. Oregon at 8-1, Utah at 8-1, SC at 7-2. Everybody else is not even 500. Oregon State, Cal, Washington, UCLA, Arizona State are all 4-5. and five. Washington State, Stanford, and Colorado are 3-6. and six. Arizona is 2-7. and seven. If you want to go even further than that, there are 1, 2, 3. Let's see here. 1, 2, 3. Four, five, only six teams in the Pac-12 with a winning record. And if you want to go past seven and five overall, 
there are still, again, only three, USC, Utah, and Oregon. you got a 5-7 and seven in there, a 6-6 six and six in there, a 4-8 and eight in there, two 4-8s, three 4-8s in there, another 5-7 and seven in there. Arizona State's 7-5, so you can credit them. Cal and Washington are 7-5. But it's not a good – it's just not good. So Utah does not have the resume. They look the part on the field. Hundley's a great player. The defense is awesome. They're killing people. But unless they go beat Oregon by 30, I'm not sure they can get higher than five. Oklahoma has a chance to get higher than them because Oklahoma already beat an undefeated Baylor team. They won in Bedlam. They beat their rival in Texas, which that's not a great win right now. But at the time, and because of what that game means on a national scale, people do pay attention to it. They beat TCU that was looking like they were going to be okay, even though they're not now. Their schedule is not that impressive either quite frankly, but they did handle Bedlam on the road 34-16, which I think is impressive. And they get a chance to beat Baylor a second time, which is a very difficult feat to pull off. I think they will do so easier. They had to come back, obviously, to beat them in Waco. I think they're going to win that game by double digits. And it's just going to be one of those where Baylor's shot to beat Oklahoma came and went in Waco, and this time it's going to be OU winning it. I think OU's probably got a better chance to make the college football playoff than does Utah right now because there are a couple of better wins. Both those Baylor wins would be better. The Oregon win for Utah would be good, but that's really the only win on their schedule that you look at and you're impressed by. And then there's Georgia. Georgia really controls this whole thing. If Georgia goes and beats LSU, they're in. LSU's not going to be the odd man out. Joel Klatt tried to tell me on Friday that maybe LSU would be the odd man out. I just in no way believe that that's possible. Not based on what we've seen so far. Not with, I think, and I know some people believe the Heisman Trophy's still up for grabs. I don't. I think it's been Joe Burrows for about a month, certainly since the Alabama game. And as good as Justin Fields has been, I just don't see it. And I also think that it's possible that he could lose some votes to his own teammate, Dobbins. But if LSU loses to Georgia, I think you've got two SEC teams in there. If Wisconsin beats Ohio State... Maybe you have two Big Ten teams in there, but if Wisconsin beats Ohio State and Georgia beats LSU, then what? Does Georgia go at that point? I still think they probably do, but how do you keep a Big Ten champion out? Well, Ohio State's better than Wisconsin, regardless of what happens in that game. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in that game. Ohio State's going to win it by 20-plus. This is what happens every year when they play Wisconsin in the Big Ten title. Wisconsin's not that good, and they will be exposed in that football game. The one outlier, Florida being ahead of Baylor with two losses, I know those losses are really good. Those losses are to Georgia and LSU, one and four. I get that. Baylor has one loss. It's to Oklahoma. They were undefeated for much of the season. I guess being one apart, at least Alabama's not above both of them. Alabama not going to make the college football playoff for the first time in six years, despite the fact that Mac Jones outside of the two pick sixes, one of which was just bafflingly strange off the back of Najee Harris and turned into a 100-yard interception return. Mac Jones played better than we thought he was going to against a good defense at Auburn. But this ain't Alabama's year. Saban, Saban may have had a gripe about that one second and some of the things that were going on in that game, but Malzahn just got him. And lining up that punter out wide and leaving Waddle kind of hung out to dry and then the 12th man penalty, that just it just wasn't Alabama's year with Tua going down and with a defense that certainly had some blemishes, to say the least. But it doesn't matter to me today where I would slot all of these teams in terms of the ones up top because three of them are going to get in. 
I don't think Virginia has a prayer against Clemson. I think Clemson's almost a 30-point favorite in the ACC title game. LSU could lose to Georgia but because Georgia has a great defense, but I just don't think Georgia can score. And LSU's defense, over, well, I mean, they look good on Saturday against A&M. They're starting to play a little bit better, but I don't know what that says based on the quality of opposition. But here's my college football top ten, which I, of course, release on the Jason Martin Show to open the second hour of the program every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. I have Florida at ten with two losses. I got Wisconsin at nine and Bama at eight. Baylor at seven, Utah at six, Oklahoma above Utah at five because I think their schedule and who they've beaten is a little more impressive. Georgia at four, Clemson at three, Ohio State at two, LSU at one. I think Ohio State's a more balanced team than LSU, but I don't think Ohio State has seen a team like LSU. And I've been with LSU for eight weeks. I'm not going to change that now. Maybe Ohio State beats them. But until I see that, I'm going to give LSU the nod. Now, if Ohio State goes and beats Wisconsin by 50 and LSU wins by three and it doesn't look good doing so, then maybe I'll pop Ohio State to number one after the season. But I doubt it. I think LSU is the best team in the country. I think they're going to win the national championship. The team that scares you to death right now is Clemson. Dabo and his weird rant about how Georgia can lose to South Carolina and they still want to keep them in. If Clemson had, they would have dropped to 20. I'm not sure what he's talking about. On this one, Clemson's won two of the last three national championships, folks. It's not like they're being overlooked. They're getting killed for their schedule, and Clemson's talking about how the AFC is better, or the, excuse me, the ACC is better than people are giving it credit for. That's what Dabo was saying. Uh, I don't know how to tell you this, bro, and I love Dabo Swinney, but no, it isn't. It just is not. And he talked about how people are looking to that one game they almost lost to North Carolina to try and keep them out. Well, look, if you lose 21-20 to to North Carolina and you're Clemson and every other game in the ACC you're just bored to death and you're a 30-point favorite, but you haven't looked that dominant for the first month of the season and other teams have played tougher roads, then maybe you would potentially not be in the top four. But you're in the top four. You're going to make the college football playoff. You're probably going to be number two. I guess he's upset they're not number one. I don't, I don't understand this rant at all. I would tell you this. Nobody wants to see Clemson in the semis. Yes, you may have to play them anyway, but I'd rather play them for all the marbles, not in the semi where I then have to go play another football game, even though it's almost two weeks later, which is absurd how long the layoff is between the semi and the big game. I know that's more Super Bowlish, but I think that's insanity. And it kills the rhythm and kills the way the flow of all of this, even though, look, we're going to have to wait almost a month before we see any of these teams play in the semifinal. So I've got LSU narrowly above Ohio State. I've got Burrow winning the Heisman. Chase Young probably out of the running because he missed a couple of games. And his stats, not as good over the past couple of weeks. But, I mean, he's going to be unbelievable in the pros. It doesn't even matter. Uh, he should get an invite. Maybe he will still get an invite. Jalen Hurts is definitely going to get an invite, probably finish third. Fields will probably finish second. I think Burrow will win it all. But we've got conference title games. I've got LSU beating Georgia. I've got Ohio State beating Wisconsin. I've got Oklahoma beating Baylor. I've got Clemson beating Virginia. And I, boy, I don't know about Oregon and Utah. Utah has no argument if they lose. I know how good Utah is and how bad Oregon's been playing, which tells me Oregon's probably going to win, and then we won't even have a debate as it relates to the Pac-12. So I'll pick Oregon to beat Utah, even though I think Utah could potentially be the better team and would love to see them get a shot. I don't think they're going to. Their schedule just does not. It doesn't pass the eye test. It doesn't pass the sniff test 
compared to what other people have done. All right, now to the NFL. Tannehill wins again. He wins again after a really bad first half. Not as much by him, but he couldn't stay upright because the offensive line, their pass protection was non-existent. I'd call it abysmal, but it didn't exist long enough for you to even call it abysmal. Tannehill was on his back repeatedly. Henry didn't really break out into the second half, and then when he did, he did in a big way, went over 140 yards. This guy in the last 16 games, 20 touchdowns and over 1,700 yards on the ground, most in that kind of span since Chris Johnson did it. And I'm not talking about with the Titans. I'm talking about with the NFL. Derrick Henry is on a tear. The offense is doing enough, but this was a game where the defense had to keep them in it against a very battered Colts team. And in the first half, it looked like they were still going to find a way to lose to a team that didn't have Ebron, that didn't have Mack, that didn't have Hilton, and that had Brissett really in regression mode where he was playing mediocre at best in the games coming into this one and even in this one as well. But you forced him into a couple of bad throws in the second half. You picked him off. Vinatieri, I have no idea why he's still playing football. He should have retired after that game in Nashville in week two. He missed two field goals. Yeah, they were long, but then why are you attempting him with a guy that's that old? He missed from 53. He missed from 55. I don't know what Frank Reich's thinking because nobody has been better on short fields in the NFL in 2019 than the Tennessee Titans. Look it up. The stats are there for you to find. But the Titans are now, they're 7-5, and and they're in a position to maybe control their own destiny. They are on the outside looking in as it relates to the wild card right now. Texans beating the Patriots is a big deal. Them being 8-4 and four, instead of being tied at 7-5 and five with the Titans is a big deal. However, the Titans have a chance to play the Texans twice in the last three weeks. If they were to sweep that, they're getting into the playoffs, we think. Now, they still have to handle business around that, but they actually can control their own destiny. If they just go win enough football games of these ones that are left, these four that they still have remaining to play, they're going to make the postseason. Right now, they're on the outside looking in because the Steelers have a tiebreak over them because of win percentage in conference games. We know the Bills are probably getting in at 9-3. and three. Uh, That win over Dallas kind of solidified what I have predicted for pretty much since they beat Tennessee, which is the Bills have taken one of the wild card slots away. I still think it's easier to win the division than it is the wild card. Steelers, got to look at what they're doing is impressive. Browns 5-7. and seven. Colin Cowherd said, this is the best Browns roster in a decade, and they're losing to that Steelers team without Juju, with all sorts of problems at the quarterback spot, with other injuries, making a trade people weren't sure about, acquiring Minka Fitzpatrick. But they're winning, and Tomlin deserves credit for the fact that they're winning. Right now it's 7-5, and five, and with a schedule that you look at and you say, man, Steelers might have the best look at making this thing a non-factor in terms of a wild card for anybody else. Here's what they have left. They play Buffalo, and that's not easy, but they go to Arizona. They play at the Jets, and they play at Baltimore. Now, the at Baltimore in the last game of the season, probably a game the Ravens will have to win in order to hold on to the number one seed unless the Pats drop another one, and maybe they will against Kansas City coming up this weekend. But the Ravens, if they're playing hard, that'll be a tough win for the Steelers, and they don't like the Steelers anyway. At the Jets, at the Cardinals, you have to assume they're going to win. So that's going to make them 9-5. and five. Bills could be a toss-up there. Bills are a dangerous team, and Josh Allen's playing good football. Dable's done a good job there. May end up leading to a bigger job for him next year. But maybe you say they lose that and they're 9-6 and six going into that final game. 
and they need that one to go 10 and 6. Now, if, they're, if they end up 9 and 7, then maybe you have a shot. But their schedule stacks up, and the way that they're playing, even with some of the things that they're dealing with, I look at them and I say, that's, that's a problem. The Raiders are also still a problem. Uh, when you look at where the Raiders find themselves, they're right beneath Tennessee. They're a 6 and 6 team. Tennessee is 7 and 5. But the problem is those two teams are playing on the eighth. They got killed yesterday. Their last two games they've been outscored have the Raiders 74 to 12, 34 to 3 loss to the Jets, which is just brutal, and then 40 to 9 to the Chiefs. So on paper, Titans playing well, Raiders not playing well, but they're going to Oakland, are the Titans, and it's the season. So it's one where Gruden might try to coach them up and it becomes a problem. Looking at the other results, Panthers are 5-7 and seven and lost to the Redskins in Charlotte. Brutal. Geis had a day. Peterson had a day. Rivera, I have to think he's got to be out at the end of this year. Kyle Allen, look, it's been they've, they're 0-4 in their last four are the Panthers, but Kyle Allen doesn't look anything like what we thought. It wasn't sustainable, and I'm not saying what we thought. He's what we thought maybe before he got in there. He played well early, but some of these backups have regressed back. We saw that with Minshew, but Minshew looks like the better option. And the Jags have committed so much money to Foles, it's going to hurt them to get rid of him, but I think they're going to let him go at the end of the year. They're going to find some way to get him out of there. And that is its astonishing considering what they paid him. But if you recall, I said that this was going to happen. And Marone has said Gardner Minshew is going to start against the Chargers and Nick Foles will be the backup. I, I told you Foles is a backup disguised as a starter. And eventually, when the backup is starting too long, it usually falls apart. Very few examples exist to say otherwise. And this is what we're seeing with Foles. Now, the Eagles was a good situation for him because Peterson and an elite offensive line and spreading the wealth around, it seemed like he played better for the Eagles than Carson Wentz. And the Eagles right now are an unmitigated disaster. But if you really look at the numbers, Foles wasn't that good last year. I mean, in the playoffs, he had that great fourth quarter, but what did you really see there? Really, you're banking this on what Foles did in the playoffs, not this past season, but the one before that, the Super Bowl year. And that's impressive. But you can get hot at the right time and put together something that you could never duplicate. And I love Nick Foles. I really do. I want to root for him and want to see him succeed. He seems like a great young man. But, man, this ain't working out. And the Jags have made so many mistakes over the past three years or so, in terms of their personnel, that they're back to being the Jags again. Not the Jags we thought maybe they would be when that defense was really on the come up a couple seasons ago. But they lost to the Bucks, 28-11. to That's just not good, man. Jaguars 4-8, and eight. that season's over, clearly. It was as soon as they lost to Tennessee. They're not a good football team. They have a couple of offensive weapons, but it just hadn't been built well. You gotta have GMs to win in this league. You gotta have GMs that know what they're doing. Right now, Jags do not. I don't think Coughlin should be there next year. If I was making that choice. I am not, but I would. Lamar Jackson does enough. Throws a touchdown, gets into the end zone himself. They win it 20 to 17 over the Niners in a battle of the two guys with the highest winning percentage ever matching up as quarterbacks in a game at this point in time. And they're both, I think, combined, they're like an 84, 85% win percentage. 
right now. I don't think I mean I don't think that anybody would put them among the annals, but you just look at where their record is right now and the quarterbacks and the longevity so that that it, it makes the percentage higher than it otherwise would be. This could be a Super Bowl rematch. I'd be surprised if both these teams make it. I wouldn't be surprised if, he, if neither one did. But the Niners, we said we would learn a lot about them. What they did against Green Bay, super impressive. What they did here, there was some bad weather. There was some wind. There were some weird things going on. They did do a nice job at limiting the Ravens offensively, but Jackson still made a few highlight plays, and they won the game by three. Kevin Clark of the Ringer said, here's what's going to happen in the AFC playoffs. It's going to be Ravens and Patriots, and it's going to come down to a couple of plays where either Lamar Jackson makes those plays or the Patriots stop him, and that's going to determine the representative of the AFC in the Super Bowl. You can go ahead and pour dirt on the Patriots' grave. I will not. I don't know what Brady is with the weaponry that he has right now because he just doesn't have very much. He trusts Edelman, and that's about it. The lack of Gronk is a big deal in that offense. The run game is not really there. They're not able to get yardage there the way that they have in the past when the past has not been that good. If the defense is called upon to stop some of these high-powered offenses, all it takes is one to beat them. I think that they are vulnerable but I also saw the Titans do what the Titans did to him last year. And you know how that season ended with the Patriots holding up the Lombardi trophy. So I'm not, look, they're the anti-Houston Rockets. This is what I tweeted out last night. Houston, at this point, has to win the championship for me to believe that they can. Meaning I will never predict them to do it until I actually see them do it once. The Patriots are the opposite. I've seen too much from James Harden scoring 60. and I mean, look, he scored 60 against the, the Hornets. In a short amount of time, Hornets have lost 10 in a row. They're not good. It's a regular season. We know what we know how good James Harden is, but I, I can't trust him to win a championship because I've never seen him do it, but I have seen him fail to do it. I've seen the Patriots do it so many times, not being the most talented team, that until I see Belichick and Brady not do it in the playoffs, I won't believe that they can't. I have been wrong too many times trying to pour dirt on the grave before. I will not do it again. Houston looked good, but I just don't know. I mean, the Patriots even found a way to claw back in because Bill O'Brien's not a good head coach. If they played in the po- if they play in the playoffs, if the Texans play the Patriots in the playoffs, you're going to take the Texans. I'm not. If the Texans, or excuse me, if the Patriots play the Ravens in the playoffs, if it's in Baltimore, I might consider taking Baltimore. If it's in Foxborough, I'm absolutely not going to. So there's still, if the Patriots end up with home field, I'm still taking them to go to the Super Bowl. I just am. I had the Chiefs before the season. I no longer do. But the AFC could be a little bit more wide open because there's still some teams that are dangerous enough with some of the things they do well that they could call some weird stuff. But the NFL is a wild game. It's a weird game. Strange things happen. That Sunday night game, everybody, or a lot of people enjoy watching the Patriots lose, but until you start seeing them lose in January, I would be real cautious about going out there and saying they're dead. I saw people tweeting out last night, is Tom Brady done? I don't think so. Not quite. Rams over Cardinals 34 to 7. Goff had a big day. Ram, this, you could have seen this coming. Cardinals are a three win team. Offenses look good at times. But the Rams are not going to lose every game, even if they've fallen off. And I had them regressing from the season they had last year and certainly the record. Gurley hadn't been the same. The injury, it may have changed everything about his career, not just this year. Goff's not great. 
the NFL has caught up Sean McVay a little bit, but it's not like he all of a sudden doesn't know what he's doing. The Rams haven't been as healthy. They were unnaturally healthy last year and great in close games. They've been bad in both, but they dominated the Cardinals. They're 7-5. and five. Keep an eye on them down the stretch. Chiefs crushed the Raiders. Raiders all of a sudden look bad again. Blowout in Kansas City after a blowout against the Jets for the Raiders. But the Raiders have the Titans coming up again. You couldn't possibly have a more important game, especially as it relates to the wild card. We already talked about much of the rest of this stuff. The Eagles are a disaster. Ryan Fitzpatrick has beaten the Eagles as a quarterback of seven different franchises in the NFL. Yesterday, another one, 37-31. Dolphins are a three-win team all of a sudden. Bengals are a one-win team. Beat the Jets 22-6. to Dalton becomes the all-time leading statistical quarterback in the history of Cincinnati's franchise because of what he did yesterday. Imagine if he had not gotten back in this season and couldn't have broken that record before he was sent away. May end up in Chicago. There will be a couple of landing spots for him where maybe he'll actually have some help around him and the fact that he's average could still be good enough to get you somewhere. I bet you they'd want him over Trubisky right now. My Broncos beat the Chargers. The Chargers are 4-8. and eight. Drew Locke, two touchdowns before halftime. They win it by a field goal at the buzzer for McManus. And I don't even know what to say about the Chargers, except I do think Phillip Rivers is basically done. I don't know. I don't think we saw them falling off like this. Usually it was about a 50% to 60% turnover ratio in teams that make the playoffs from one year to the next in the NFL, which is kind of unreal, especially when you think about college football and how often you see the same three of four or at least half. Well, I guess you see half. It's still 50%. But the Broncos, a four-win team, not good, but they've won a couple games I didn't expect them to. I'm not even sure I'm happy about it. I don't want to see my team lose, but – I don't know if Drew Locke's the guy. I'm glad that we're finally looking at that, though. We already talked about the Titans, obviously. Saints-Falcons from Thursday. Bills-Cowboys, Bears-Lions. Nothing that exciting except the Bills beating the Cowboys. The NFC East is tracking to be one of the two or three worst divisions in terms of statistical output across all categories in the history of the NFL. They're right there with that NFC West from about 11 years ago. You remember that. When, it, when one of those teams is going to make the playoffs and you were, there, was, there were arguments out there to try to find a way to keep them out because no, none of them deserved it, that there's going to be a much more deserving team from another NFC division that wasn't going to make it because of the way the rules were set up. That's what you got with the NFC East. I went off on Garrett last week. I talked about that whole story. I'm not going to do it again. It's still the same deal. We knew who he was. We know he's not that good. Mike Freeman says they've got to win a Super Bowl for him to keep his job. I'll almost believe that when I see it, but... Hopefully Jerry Jones is going to move on from that unless he's the single most stubborn, I just have to have a yes man person around me that we've ever seen, which is doomsday. And then he had another backup quarterback come in, David Blau for the Lions, and lose to the Bears but look good doing so. But again, you've got a backup. When's he going to regress to the mean? It's not that, the, that one of these guys can't turn out to be a long-term starter, but and Minshew might be a guy in Jacksonville. We'll see. But a lot of times this works for a little while and then doesn't work. Driscoll looked pretty good for the Detroit Lions when he first got in there. It didn't last. Kyle Allen looked good for the Panthers for a little while, but it did not last. We're looking at a backup in Ryan Tannehill, but it's a little bit different for the Titans in this regard. This again, I think it was Robert Mays was talking about this in the Ringer NFL podcast that released last night. 
He was talking about Tannehill, and he said, you don't want to bury Miami, but you do want to say this. Ryan Tannehill's problems, his biggest issue was always his health. When he played, he generally played pretty well in stretches, but he couldn't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he's a very competent player that's capable of playing pretty good football. And even with like 37 to 38 mil under the cap, they're going to commit a large part of that to Tannehill. That's what we expect at least. And then they've got to find a couple. They need another offensive weapon, and they need a couple of other pieces, certainly. But Tannehill and the way he's playing right now, unless it goes off the tracks, but at this point there's only four more games, so how much off the tracks can it go? If they go to the Raiders and he throws six interceptions and he he, he goes down the stretch and he throws 15 picks, okay, do we think he's going to do that? No. He only had five incompletions yesterday. He's a guy that's not really throwing more than about 22, 23 passes a game in his last handful. And it's been good. And it's not because they're afraid to let him throw. It's because they're running the offense through Derrick Henry. And he is picking defenses apart with precision passing as opposed to attrition passing. And I think that might be the way for them to win. Is Tannehill playing within himself and them not asking him to do everything, just go out and win when we need you to win and hand it to 22. And then you're asking the offensive line to block him. And in run blocking, they've done pretty well. Pass blocking, totally different animal. So that's a look at the NFL. It's a look at college football for this week. Man, regular season in college football is over. It just barely started, it felt like. It's already done. We did our last Tennessee tailgate show on Saturday, uh, Joey Kent and I, and we were just kind of like, wow, season's done. So we've got conference title games this weekend in um, college football. And then we've got just a few more weeks of the NFL regular season. And then it's going to be, are we talking about the Titans in the playoffs? Are we talking about just not quite getting it done and how much the early season losses put them behind the eight ball to where they just they had such a small margin for error that they could not hold on. That's what happened last year, that plus the injury to Mariota. So Tannehill, we just hope he stays healthy at this point because he has done everything you could ask the guy to do. It has become a lot more fun to watch football in the state of Tennessee if you're a Vols fan or a Titans fan in particular, but there are teams that are actually playing well in this state. And that's a bit of a change, quite frankly. But it's, it's a welcome change. Because you can look at this and you can point to it and not just say, I don't know how they're winning these games. No, you can see how they're winning these games. And I think that's a step in the right direction. Next step is continue to win. Get on a streak. Right now, they're on a good clip. Both these teams are, as a matter of fact. The Vols just have one more to play. It's a bowl game. And it, it's played in weeks. You know, three, four weeks from right now. So I don't know what you can even look at there. But for the Titans you got to go throttle the Raiders. The Raiders coming off two embarrassing beatdowns are going to want to try and save their season and harm yours in the process. Because of the Texans' win over the Patriots, you got to keep pace with them. That way those two games between those two franchises mean the world coming up in weeks 15 and 17. Coming up next week, another edition of the Quick Six. I've written a lot of the Big Six blogs. Just let me push this real quick. Watchmen last night, the end of it was just one of those cliffhangers and one of those reveals where you're just, your jaw's on the floor. Still don't think that show's going to last. I think it might be one season and done, which I've talked about before. But as long as you are okay being confused all the time, that's fine. Mandalorian episode four, I wrote on that on Friday. Love that series to death. We did a pop six. If you missed that, that released right before the holiday, Brad Willis and I, and uh, we'll be doing some Star Wars casting coming up uh, in the run up to The Rise of Skywalker. What else did I write on? I wrote on The Irishman on Netflix. I wrote on Knives Out, which I, I 
urge you to go see. I think it's good. I think the whole family can go and really enjoy it. I love that movie. I can't wait to see it again. My wife and I uh, actually went to the theater and saw it. We missed the press screening, so we went and saw it the day after. We went and saw it on the evening of Black Friday, and it was it was absolutely fantastic. Check that out to be sure. I wrote my Titans piece, and my Vols piece was the big six takeaways from the entire season for Tennessee. So I think I wrote all told six pieces in two days this weekend over the Big Six blog. So turn out all the content I can for you guys to enjoy. I'm going to write on some other movies this week. I've got I've got a stack of literally about 50 to 60 screeners right now uh, for award season movie-wise. I'm going to plow through you know, four or five of these this week, and unless it's just totally irrelevant, I'm going to write on it. I can tell you I think this week I'm going to write on Jojo Rabbit. I'm going to write on Won't You Be My Neighbor. Um and it's too late to write on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm just excited to look down and see that sitting there because I've already seen it once. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, and I'm looking forward to jumping back into it and watching it again. Maybe I'll find something to, to say about it. Maybe we'll, we'll even do a pop six. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, and I'm, I'm happy to be in the thick of it in whatever way I can be. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. The website is 1045thezone.com slash big six blog. You can subscribe to the Pop Six, to the Quick Six, to Squared Circle Radio, uh, which is we did another episode of that last week as well. Brandon Hagney out in New Mexico joining us, as he always will. And what else? Is there another podcast that I'm forgetting at this point? Quick Six, Pop Six, Big Six. I'll see you on Friday for the next edition of that show, 6 p.m. on 104.5 The Zone. Thanks to everybody for checking the show out. Thanks to all the kind words that I continue to receive from you guys. Again, I hope your Thanksgiving was really good. Thanks to Will Bowling as well. Just uber-talented human being that helps me put this show together uh, on Monday afternoons. And he does about 14 different podcasts himself. Keep your eye on Will Bowling. In about three or four years, if you don't know him now, uh, he's probably going to have blown your mind because... Again, I look at him and I don't even see myself. I see what I wish I was at that age, quite frankly. Super talented in many different ways and in technology in particular. Even though I consider myself fairly technically savvy, not compared to him in terms of the way he thinks. So make sure you follow him on Twitter as well and just keep an eye on all that he's doing. He is responsible for either the production or the creation of almost all of the Zone podcasts that you enjoy. And... uh he deserves a major kudos and a lot of applause. I'm not going to applaud into the radio or into, into your ears right now because it's just totally unnecessary. But all right, we'll see you next week. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on when you're listening to this show from the Music City.